This is a crowd podcast. You're listening to Fox Given, the one with Sangeeta from the Masala podcast. Well, hello there, Reed. Hi, Florence. How are you on this fine day? It's Thank actually not you. a fine day, is it? It's, it's really shit weather-wise. Miserable. Yeah, but. miserable. Yeah. <laughs> but we're gonna be in LA soon, so. But yeah, like we don't give a fuck because we're we're out of here in a week. <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> I'm good. I went to a spin class again Mondays. Starting. Well, I just realised. Right. We just said we're out of here. This could be in the future, and we might already be in LA when this comes out. This might. Yeah, I think it might come out when we're in LA. Shit. I mean, so we now are this, this is in a... LA. La la la. <laughs> or we're back from, or, well, I'm back from LA already. I don't know yet. I don't know what the lay, lay of the law is. Uh, we normally record Amazing. our podcasts about a week in advance, but because Florence is away for a month and mm-hmm. we wanted to have a month off of recording to actually enjoy summer holidays and our summertime, yeah, we've. Yeah, we've done some hardcore podcast recording the last two weeks. So hardcore. Yeah. Been and you've intense. been recording Love High as well. It's just, it's been intense. <laughs> and then on top of that, we've got the podcast show, which is this uh-huh. two huge two-day podcast conference yeah. that that both Florence and I are speaking at. So yeah, shit yeah. is popping off Pop this week. In. Pop in. It's probably and really boring hearing this if this is in something the Something else <laughs> was also popping off this morning, oh, wasn't it, Reed? Oh, <laughs> I'm dead. You know what? She even said she was like, so it might fall off. Um, have they fallen off before? And I was like, what? Fallen off? I was like, I don't think they've fallen off before. So, spoiler alert, I have slash had genital wards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been something I've been going on with for ages. I've always just had one genital wart just like randomly pop up. Mm-hmm. But also, that's not really, that's not really much of a big deal. Like, anyone who has herpes out there anyone who has genital warts like knows what it's like when they just they just crop up they're just yeah they're ugly head um it's the same with my herpes that i have um it's when i'm feeling really run down or really shitty exactly get herpes. Just pops back up or, or like fucking shingles that i had the other day other other day other year you know, it becomes so like meh okay cool that like it's just not even a thing anymore it's like getting a cut or a graze you know, catching like, a cold it's like catching exactly. flu catching covid i mean that still sucks because there's a lot of stigma around it yeah still but it's very similar but i feel like we've created the space where mm. getting an sti isn't a big deal we're still trying to tell the rest of the world that it's not a fucking big deal True. um that is but true. everyone else so, just needs to catch the fuck up tell us more about what does a genital wart feel like and look like so, that so we can look out <laughs> it's a good good point because um people can get really like catch phobias of it or you know Mm. if you get a spot or an ingrown hair the first thing you think of i had an ingrown hair once and i went to the sex trial clinic thinking it was a wart and she was like nope just an ingrown hair and then she had a really fun time squeezing it out yeah i mean uh, the same thing happened to me i thought i had two genital warts so i went and she was like no no no, that's just an ingrown hair and i was like how even i know what they look like and i've had them before and they still confuse me yeah um 
So you might have, I mean, of course, if there's anything that you think might be any kind of abnormality around your genitals, it's always worth going to the doctors to getting it checked out. Even if it is dry skin, been, mm-hmm. I've been to the sexual health clinic for dry skin thinking it was herpes, wasn't. They're like, it's fucking dry skin. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Okay, thanks. Um, but yeah, it's important because especially if you are sexually active, yeah, you want to just, you want to be responsible for your sexual health. Anyway. That's yeah, very true. What they look like, um, and they can they can be anywhere around your genitals. Mm-hmm. Um, mine tend to be in really random places. They're not on the vulva, but they're so. This one in particular was on my like Venus mound, just above my mm-hmm. vulva. Um, I've had them at the side of my vulva before. Some people get them in like everywhere. Like some people can get them just on the entrance. Some people get them on the vulva and the flaps on the outside. Mm-hmm. Labia, not flaps. <laughs> Flaps. Flaps. Um, but they can kind of just occur anywhere. And it's from catching a virus. So getting genital warts is from a virus that stays under the skin, a bit like chickenpox, herpes. It's kind of mm-hmm. all the same thing. And then when you're really run down and you're not feeling well, um, it will flare up. Yeah. And in this case, you get a genital wart. So um, yeah, I had, I had one crop up and I could see it coming and I was like, you little son of a bitch, you're fucking coming for me. Um, <laughs> but they're really easy to sort out. And yeah, you, I, you know, you have to be careful. You let your sexual partners know because of course they, they can spread just like any other STI. That's why they're mm-hmm. an STI. Um, and yeah, she just, it was so quick and simple. Came in, had a look at it. It was like, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So the way to de- detect that it is a genital wart is that it it doesn't just look like a spot it's it's a growth a, a skin colored growth um that happens on on wherever and it you can tell that it's a genital wart because it looks like cauliflower that's how they sort of describe it it's like we're talking microscopic tiny tiny it kind of looks like cauliflower cells mm. and a genital wart's just where you get all of these like random abnormal cells like growing and just being like oh hey hi, hi. cool <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she just froze it off. It's called cry- cryogenics, or they can also yeah. call it burn it off. But and you just go like that. It's a bit like you know spraying an aerosol can on your skin. I would yeah. not recommend doing that though. It it, it won't work. Um, and also that's dangerous. You can burn yourself doing that. So yeah, go yeah, to <laughs> go to a professional. Go to your doctor. Go to your sexual health clinic, and mm-hmm. they'll just talk to you about it spray it off and then okay mine doesn't fall off i've not heard of that before um but mine no, just sort of shrink pop off into, yeah pop up which is a pop off um they mine just shrink until they're not there anymore oh amazing uh, and it's yeah it's really really simple and not worth being embarrassed about of course i yeah. still have that lingering embarrassment and shame but that's not because of me that's just because of like what how other people react Little it sounds weirdos. so normal and so like Meh, not a big deal. Yeah, meh. It, is, it isn't a big deal. It's just like getting any other skin rash. Yeah. Or like I said, getting chicken pox, getting, getting shingles, getting a mm-hmm. cold sore on your lip. It's all the same thing. Um, and I think the, le- like the more we're ashamed of it, the less we talk about it. You know, if I kept this a secret or if I didn't tell any of my sexual partners, then yeah, it, it would be, it would make it into a big deal. And people, you know what? People might take it wrong they might react badly to it but then Mm. that's just on them that's just the way that they've been brought up with their shame or they've been miseducated all you can do is just be like 
hey dude this shit happens and it's it's fine you can get it sorted like like with any sti right yeah you know you, you catch something um no one's doing it on fucking purpose i i think i feel like it's just like covid no one's catching covid on purpose it happens and it can some affect some people worse than it can affect others but mm-hmm. all you need to do is be like shit sorry uh, like i think i've got this go and get yourself tested yeah and then protect other people and that's it yeah, that that's it. Is it. Easy as pie. Yeah, so that was my morning. Is getting my genital frozen off. So Yay. <laughs> Woo! Bye. Um and also getting my full STI tests done. Mm. Oh, I've um, ordered mine. I've ordered some nice. to do before we go away because I want to know for show. Yeah, that's so smart. On. Especially because you don't it's one, it's harder in the US, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not as easy as it is over in the UK where you can literally, if you live in London or in some cities, you just go online and you can just get a free full yeah. STI test yeah. kit through the letterbox that you do at home and then send yeah. off. We've done that a bunch of times. It's so good. I'm being extra cautious here because they actually did my STI test when I had my smear test. They did like yeah. everything. So nice. I know that I didn't have anything then, but I'm like, just getting me doubly sure. Yeah. It's also get like the blood test done sure. and everything. Yeah, not just the swabs, because um, mm-hmm. the swabs, I think, only check for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Yes. Um, getting your bloods t- checked for everything from HIV to hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting what letter, all of that. Syphilis. That is, syphilis, yeah, yeah. And so frustratingly, a lot of these STIs can be symptomless, especially for men. Yeah. But anyway, shall we get Sangeeta on? Yes, let's get her on. I'm excited. Yay. <laughs> Sangeeta, finally, finally. Yay. Oh Welcome. my God, finally. <laughs> For anyone listening, we've been trying so hard to record. Oh. We've had technical glitch after technical glitch and we all desperately want to speak to each other and have been able to. <laughs> this I has know. been the cursed episode. It we've, really I think has. We've, like, we've, we've tried once or twice. We've rescheduled a thousand times and now we're yes. finally here. We've got each other. We are here. Well, I mean, not in the room, but online. We we can see each other's <laughs> 2D faces. And you know beautiful. what? I, I feel like we broke the curse last week, Sangeeta, by actually meeting in person. In yes. person. That is what did it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You managed it. <laughs> You saw it out. We're here now. Finally, we can talk about some sex shit. Yes. Okay. Sangeeta, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am Sangeeta Pillai. I run uh, a network for South Asian women called Soul Sutras and a podcast called Masala Podcast. All the work I do is about uh, tackling taboos in my culture, in South Asian culture. So if you know anyone that's South Asian, uh, you will know there are a lot of things we do not discuss. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about periods. We don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about nipple hair, which I like to talk about. We uh, love talking about that too. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. I, I thought you would. I thought you would. Um, so I've kind of grown up in India in a very traditional family. Like I was the first woman in my family to ever have a job that tells you kind of wow. how... Traditional, yeah. So my family moved from a very small village in Kerala to Mumbai, where I kind of grew up. Moved to the UK about 17 years ago. um, And I've been doing the work I've been doing for the last four years. So that's 
me in a nutshell. Wow. What what was the inspiration and push behind your platforms that you do have? It's very much, so all the work is very much from my own experience. I think growing up, uh, there was a very narrow space I was told I could occupy. Like the best I could hope for in my own life was that a nice guy would marry me. Yeah. And like that was the best, right, I could I, I could achieve. And growing up, I was just born very different. I don't know why I am like this, but I was just kind of born questioning uh, I was told that, you know, one day you'll get married if you're lucky. One day you'll have children if you're lucky. Uh, it doesn't, you know, nobody asked me what I thought about anything. Sex wasn't even in the universe that I occupied. Like it was so far removed. Like mm. we all grew up being told that sex was something you did for your husband when you kind of, you know, got married. It wow. was nothing to actually do with you. And women would kind of put up with sex for the security of marriage. Mm-hmm. It's wow. very archaic, but that's kind of, that was how I grew up. And growing up, there was a lot of shame around women's bodies, like my body. I, I, if I wore something like this and went out into the street, you'd be like, what are you doing? You know, you're asking to be groped. And that was the other thing. So as a woman in kind of 1980s Mumbai, which is where I grew up in a very poor family. Mm. So if you were rich, you were afforded the privacy of a car to take you places and someone like me who couldn't and had to use public transport. The minute mm. you stepped out of the home, somebody would grope you like a man would just feel you up yeah. in the street when you went to school, when you went to college, when you went to work. Mm-hmm. So it was like a double whammy of like a never really owning your own body. Like we were taught that our bodies weren't ours, like as women, they belonged yeah. to the men we were going to marry or our body belonged to society. You carried the kind of the honor of, of, of society, of your family in your body. And at the mm. same time, there was this kind of other people uh, encroaching on your body. So it's really difficult, I think, growing up in that kind of culture and that kind of society. Then to go yeah. on to sort of start talking about pleasure, you know, it's like a huge, 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 huge step to take, I think. It's a big jump. It's a yeah. huge jump. Probably like, very scary as well. Like how how was that for you going, asking all these questions and going from that kind of an upbringing to where you are now? It's been really amazing, but also really difficult. I will I will admit, you know, because um, these sorts of conversations aren't being had. So even if I say something in a room full of South Asian women, like if they are kind of fairly progressive women, they will listen and they will whatever. But say if I go to a party, like a Diwali party, and if I say something that you can hear the quiet in the room, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a sense of embarrassment, there's a sense of like, why are you talking about this stuff? You know, so it is very hard. And in personally, like it, I feel like whatever the choices we make are, and mine has been to do this work, because I think it's super important for me and for the women in my community. But I think the price you pay is that there is a sense of loneliness where you feel like you don't really fit in your own culture. Yeah. Um, and that's hard, you know, and it's taken me years. It's only now I think that I'm thinking, oh, um, how do I celebrate Diwali, which is like a big festival for us, like Christmas. Mm. And I've started to kind of say, this is my version of, say, a feminist Diwali, what it looks like. Because it's a very binary choice within the culture. Either you fit in, either you're like, you get married, you have kids, you have a certain job, you dress a certain way, and then you're South Asian, or you're someone like me, who's the absolute, like I've rejected a lot of uh, the value systems that I've grown up with. Mm. 
So it's quite binary and that can be quite lonely. Did you always reject the things that were going on around you or was it kind of like a process as as you got older? I think it was always within me. I was kind of born feeling really angry at some of the stuff I saw around me. Um, like in my family, like my uncles would come for lunch or whatever, and they would just sit there and we would cook and mm. serve them the food, my mother and I. They wouldn't even pick up the plate. Like they just get up and go. Like it's that kind of uh, difference between men and women, you know. So I think I was born this way. I was kind of angry a lot inside, but mm-hmm. I didn't have the words or the courage, I think, to articulate it until I got to my kind of teenage years when I started to say stuff. And then it was Mm. highly, highly provocative within my family. Like, I think I battled with my parents for about 10 years living at home. And again, you didn't leave home, like how, say, here you might go off to university. A girl got married off. Yeah. That's when she left the house. She didn't just say, oh, I'm going to get my own flat or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, So there was a lot of battling and a lot of angst, I think, to yeah. work through. How did you and, learn about sex in the first place? Uh, from women's magazines. <laughs> wow, nice. Which so, obviously probably isn't the best form of education, no, but it's, at least it's no. an education. <laughs> exactly. I was saying this to someone else recently. It's like, I didn't know sex existed, but I had this idea that there was something that people weren't telling me. And I was kind of determined to find out. I was like, there's some big thing that I don't know. Mm. So I read all these women's magazines and I remember like even cutting up little, you know, the questions they would ask the uh, editor or sex expert or whatever. Agony on, that's it. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh, that happens, that happens. And I kind of pieced it together. And then one day I'm like, oh my God, this is what people do. This is what (laughs) happens. And my first reaction uh, was, oh my God, horror, absolute horror. I'm like, what? Is this what they do? <laughs> Two bodies smashing Two bodies, against like, each other. You know, like, it's like, yeah. yeah. And I'd look yeah. at all these aunties and uncles around me and say, oh my God, they do this. So she's pregnant. So she must have done this at some point. You yes. Know? <laughs> yeah, that shame's like, well, and then you think, but I'm born. That means my parents yeah, must have. It. I was no. like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've done something amazing, which is the Masala Monologues. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because it sounds incredible. It was amazing, actually. So when I started on this journey, which is like four years ago, came from my own mental health challenges, actually. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that had happened in my life, I hadn't really processed it. Uh, and I think I had a huge kind of um, really difficult time with kind of anxiety, depression, PTSD. And I was coming out of that. I started to run these workshops and it was all instinctive. I didn't really think about it. And I think the first year I must have run about 20 odd workshops and I'd get other South Asian women in a room and we'd talk to each other about some of the experiences, some of the taboos. Mm-hmm. I'd talk about my specific experiences around taboos and they would share their stories. And I'd coach them on how to write a monologue around that. Like, how do you write it? How do you kind of develop it as a story? But what it did do was get us to open up to each other. Like, And a lot of the stuff that kept coming up was similar stories. It was shame, was around bodies, around sex, around choosing someone who might be from a different culture or a different religion, Um, shame around, you know, masturbation, shame around pleasure. You know, there was a lot of that kept coming up over and over again. Uh, And I was like, I have to share this with the world. So I put together 
this theater show at Rich Mix with a bunch of their stories, got a director and producer involved, and we did an amazing show. And about 100 odd people turned up. And so many women came up to me afterwards to hug me and to say, oh, my God, you know, oh. you've told our story. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah. And then I was thinking, oh, this is really important and really powerful. Uh, and then I was kind of looking for other avenues. And then I started thinking about podcasting as, as a route. So that's yeah. the Salah Monologues is where it all started. Yeah, it must have been really amazing as well to connect with other South Asian women to talk about mm. all of these things. What has been like the most important conversation you think that's come up quite frequently for you? Gosh, so many. Um, I think that the thing recently that keeps coming up is about how difficult it is for South Asian women to access their own pleasure. Like mm. there is so much shame and, you know, we all know what that looks like within the work we do, shame and how we carry it in our body. But it seems even harder when all your life you've been taught to be the good girl. You know, that's the kind of the good girl who upholds the honor of her family, who does the right thing, who, you know, doesn't shame her family. Mm-hmm. And all this onus is put on kind of South Asian women. And then they are then expected when they're in a relationship or married to suddenly be able to be having amazing sex. How does <laughs> yeah. that happen? You know, yeah. first you deny women any knowledge of their own bodies or their own pleasure of, you know, any sexual capacity. And then suddenly they're supposed to be these like, I don't know, porn stars or whatever. I'm just yeah. saying porn stars, but you know what Satisfying, I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's the partner, hypocrisy, and... right? It's, exactly. it's all about, you're supposed to be a virgin, don't yeah. sit with anyone else, anyone, but, you know, but lock my world yeah. in the bedroom. Exactly. So this comes up a lot recently. And a lot of women will say to me, like, I really want to have pleasure and I want to have orgasms and I want to, but I don't know how. Yeah. Like, I can't seem to. And that's so sad, I think. What, what was your journey with self-pleasure like? How did you start discovering pleasure when it wasn't even discussed in in your world? It weirdly took me moving to the UK. It took me going through a divorce and starting to date. And age, I think, was the other big factor. Mm-hmm. Like it was around 40. I turned kind of 40. And for the first time in my life, I felt comfortable with my own body. I could look at my body in the mirror and I think, oh, you're pretty hot, you know, like which I've never done before. Um, And I think there was a sense of acceptance and letting go uh, and a sense of thinking, oh, my God, like I, I feel this pleasure in my body. And for the first time, I can let go of this idea that sex is for other people. Like I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be really, really selfish. <laughs> and I'm only going to think about my pleasure. And yeah. something about that, like changed something in my head. Mm-hmm. And I was dating a bunch of people at that point. I was, wasn't looking for anything serious. And it, it just occurred to me that it didn't even matter who I was with. I was having amazing sex. So the sex was oh, with me. Nice. I was having sex with myself that, in that's each how of I these interactions. About- I feel the same way. Sometimes I could just have sex with somebody I'm not even remotely attracted yes. to and still have the best time. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that That's like fascinating, yeah. I never thought of it blow. like that way around where it was, again, it's this almost this idea of, of selfishness, which sounds yes. awful because it's not yes. about selfishness. It's yes. about just 
not caring so yes. much about the other person, yes. like putting yourself first yes. when it yeah. comes to sex. Exactly. That's so hard to do though. That's it's what I was gonna say. Hard. So hard to do. I think I'm still figuring that shit out as well. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, Sangeeta, as I said in that talk that you were, came to, my therapist had said to me that same day when I had kind of been discussing the sex that I was having and I was like, you know, like I didn't have an orgasm and I felt a bit unsatisfied and he said to me well your pleasure is your responsibility and I was mm-hmm. like huh oh, why that is it so, so he, powerful <laughs> yeah like this okay so my partner doesn't have to try and make me orgasm and I've always expected partners to be in that position where they're like you know really trying yeah. to make you feel pleasure but actually yeah. It should be me that's trying to make. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can guide them. You help me do this way, but it's gonna be this way. Well, that's the thing. It's like being able to, even just having that kind of thought process. I think is then like, okay, then how do I communicate what I want and what's gonna work for me? Yeah, 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 yeah. In a way that's encouraging. If you put a South Asian lens to that, it's a lot harder because Mm. we've been brought up to think of other people all the time. So you're taught to think about your father, you're taught to think about your mother, and the whole culture is about other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is almost revolutionary to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to think about myself. And not Mm -hmm. necessarily just during sex. To think about yourself, like, what do I want? Like, what makes me happy? It's so alien to so many women in my culture. I was just talking about this to a friend yesterday. And, you know, we're, we're also taught that a, it's other people first and us last. And it's mm-hmm. so encoded within us. We've seen our mothers and our grandmothers do this. Like the South Asian mother, like the trope is very much, it's, it's not just a trope, it sadly exists. Like she wakes up before everybody else. She gets the breakfast ready. She feeds everybody else. Then she sleeps yeah. last. She's almost this caricature, like this one dimensional being that exists to look after other people. Wow. And unfortunately, women carry that. Yeah. Um, and then pleasure becomes an indulgence. Pleasure becomes yeah. selfishness. Mm-hmm. Um, pleasure becomes something that you earn at some point if you're very, very good and very, very lucky. And wow. that's still, I mean, like we we are white privileged women and we still struggle. So having a person of color and having that culture teach you, I mean, it's all fucked anyway. As women, yeah, it's fucked. It is fucked. But on top really. of that, Yes. being a person of color on top of yes. that being in the lgbtqai yes. spectrum like it just get there are levels yeah. and if Absolutely. florence and i fucking find it hard like oh yeah. god it's it's it, it's you know exactly. shed a tear for the rest of the goddamn world without pleasure Please. exactly exactly and the thing is as you know we're we're all working within the space and we sit in places and we talk about orgasms and sex toys and things like that and it's very easy to forget that to a lot of women who might be Asian or black or LGBTQ+, you know, if you grew up in a world where stepping into a sex toy store is in another universe, you know, it's so hard. I think it's easy for us to forget that that's what a lot of the world is like. Yeah. And the access to pleasure, what we think about and talk about, isn't like that for a lot of people. And it's so much harder. Even something as simple as an orgasm is like this unachievable thing that remains behind 
all the cultural conditioning and coding that we carry. Yeah. How, how do we break that down? How did you break that down for yourself? I think for me, it was a, I think, first deciding that a lot of the stuff I had learned was just bullshit, like it was not yeah. true. I think it was first that. Then it was really connecting with my own body, I think, physically, um, feeling sensations in my own body, really feeling pleasure in, in every aspect of the world whether that's how fabrics felt on my skin or um, how food tasted in my mouth or, mm. you, you know, like feeling, really feeling and living in pleasure. Um, and then growing older and not having any kind of attachment to, like I, I wasn't particularly looking for a partner. I wasn't looking for anything. I was just being myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I could access the part of me that had always been there. And I think it's always part of every single one of us. Yeah. Like we are born into the world with the capacity to feel pleasure. We, every single baby is, you know, we all are. Yeah. Um, if you look at a baby's face, I mean, it's, it's full of pleasure. You know, when, it, when a baby touches something, you know, you can see that. I think we mm-hmm. all have that inherent capacity. Yeah. And then the world comes along and culture comes along and kind of eats away at it, chips away at it until it's very little left. So for me, I think it was very much to go back to my own body. Um, to, to really stay in the sensations that my body was capable of feeling mm-hmm. uh, and to just enjoy that for itself. And then that helped me tap into this, what felt like this really powerful part of me. Like I suddenly kind of met myself in that way that I'd never met myself before. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is like, absolute universe of pleasure that I'm carrying within myself without really even knowing I had it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I think that's when everything changed for me. Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful thing to reconnect with for everyone as well. The fact that like the pleasure isn't just in sex, it's in yes. so many things. And I think as well, like with the state of the world and everything, it's so important to like think about that every single yeah. day, like all yeah. the small pleasures. Yeah, it was really powerful. Mm, it's just it's just about what, feeling what you enjoy and going in that direction. You know, if if yeah. something feels nice, if if something feels good, and then moving away from stuff that doesn't feel good necessarily. Exactly. I mean, that's how, especially if yeah. you're not taught how to masturbate, that's how a lot yeah. of us do masturbate. It's exactly. touching ourselves, feeling something yeah. nice uh, all over our bodies and then going in that direction. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you might be having an orgasm. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah. Th- I get it. This is this is what it's like. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. That childlike exploration. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I think so much gets in the way of that. And I think that's also what we must acknowledge, whether mm. that's, um, you know, whether that's culture, which I've talked about a lot, but whether that's TV, whether that's magazines, whether that's ads that are telling us as women to be constantly working towards something, you know, to be, I don't know, watching our weight and figuring out our clothes and mm. whatever it is, there's so much pressure uh, to just be, a, you know, like a certain kind of person mm-hmm. that we forget that actually none of this matters, but it's kind of bombarded, you know, like the whole day, or whether it's Instagram, whether it's TV, whether it's ads, look yeah. this way, smell that way, talk this way, you know, achieve this, you know, do that. It's yeah. like we've got to 
jump through a million hoops every single day That's so to cute. just get to ourselves. It's the language, isn't it? Like also dur- like if we're gonna take it back to sex as well, like men never the, the language never is, oh a man achieves an orgasm. Yes. But we achieve an orgasm. We achieve that's so true, Florence. I've never thought of it, but it, that is absolutely I've never heard that before. We're women achieving an orgasm. Like, yeah, because it's bloody hard and we've got to yeah, work bloody hard for it. Worked hard to get there. Yeah. I mean we are so cool. we are blanket statementing. Like I'm sure that there yeah. are men out there that do find it really hard to I'm sure. of course but you've never like used the language that they achieved it right yeah. yeah and they haven't been the center of attention in sex education you know it's not all about the male ejaculate yeah. um, exactly. when it doesn't always have to be yeah, yeah. exactly that's wild mm-hmm. so what have some of the reactions been from family and friends to the conversations that you're having with your work? <laughs> so, um, with my family, uh, broader family, my you know my mum and dad are no more. But uh, if I post on Facebook about any of the work I'm doing, there is total silence. No one says anything. Oh wow! Which is an amazing place to be in, actually, because you know it, it's gone from people saying stuff. Uh, if I post a picture of a of, of a coffee I drank, there are fifty comments. Mm-hmm. So, which tells you, you know, how the work lands. <laughs> That's yeah. so interesting. But then um, you are you are putting that information out there. There will be people reading it, and there will be people relating. It's just it's still yeah. that fear and stigma of yes. being the person to be like, oh my god, this is amazing, and then having yeah. other people know. Exactly. Um, from the community at large, it's been mostly positive i mean i I feel very blessed people write into me like constantly and i'm sure you 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 both get that as well Mm. um where stuff like i was in my car and i turned on spotify and i heard you say a particular thing and oh my god that happened to me and i feel like this about it or i had someone writing to me from australia today to say my god you know i'm an australian british uh, australian asian woman i've always hated my own culture uh, but listening to you, I feel like there are ways in and there are things that I can kind of go back to. Uh, so I get a lot of love from the community. Like, I, I feel very, very blessed. Yeah. Because it's, mm-hmm. about... it's not about... Oh, snap. Oh, my God. I wonder what you are going to say. I wonder if it's the same thing that I was going to say. Because um, it's not about pushing away your culture and demonizing your culture. It's about trying to make them work together. Are you going to say that? Is well? that what you're going to say? Oh my God, Florence. Oh sometimes. <laughs> wow. You too. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I think what I was saying was like, it often has felt like a binary choice. Like either you're this kind of South Asian person or you're that, or you're you're mm-hmm. rejecting the culture. And I think it's something that we all go through. I did that. I rejected my culture. I'm like, I want nothing to do with this thing that makes me feel so awful about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think, again, growing up and growing older, you get the sense that actually I can choose the bits from this that suit me. And I yeah. say this a lot on the podcast. I say this a lot in my life saying that, we as South Asian women can choose the bits of our culture that work for us and reject the bits that no longer serve us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did this whole piece in um, Stylist about a um, feminist Diwali. So Diwali is like, you know, this big festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and talked about creating, what does a feminist Diwali look like? Where it's very much a family thing normally, 
And I'm like, I'm going to light some candles, uh, some diyas. I'm going to wear Asian clothes. I'm going to make a particular thing. And then I'm going to talk to the goddess Lakshmi about my new sex toy. You know, like. Amazing. <laughs> so, that's so cool. Because who says you can't? You know, and that's the, I think that's what we've been taught that. If you are to be a South Asian person who follows a culture, you can't do this and you can't do that. And actually, none of it is true. Like our yeah. gods and goddesses were very gender fluid. If you go back into Hindu mythology, like the god becomes a goddess, the god be- goddess becomes a god, and they're always having sex. One yes. god finds another god and fancies them and then suddenly says, oh, but this one's a woman. I'm going to change my form to be su- such and such. And that's part of our mythology. Yeah. Oh, wow, um, that's so cool. Also like karma sutra is yeah originated Asian, right? um, yes i mean forgive me if i'm wrong but i was hearing that hermaphrodites um are also kind of seen as these godly godly people because yes that's also in part of yes. the culture it's it is amazing. very much very much mm-hmm. part of the culture um and i think gender like i was saying is very fluid within old mythology Mm-hmm. ideas of gender norms are kind of you know and mm-hmm. even within the Kama Sutra there is the third sex they talk about the third sex uh, non, not, neither man nor woman there's a particular wow. god whose name I've forgotten who is neither man nor woman mm-hmm. um, and going back to the Kama Sutra which you mentioned I mean most of the west thinks of it as like a sexual positions manual but it's not it's just one yeah. chapter in it it's like this whole tome around pleasure being as important a part of life as bringing up a family or creating wealth or being a good human being or being a civic you know having a civic sense it's like that much yeah. of a part of so karma shastra which is the science of of sex mm-hmm. is one of the shastras yeah so a karma sutra which is the, the kind of the code of the karma of, of, of karma being desire karma mm-hmm. is a god karma deva is is the god of of desire so it was very much written from a point of view of a cosmopolitan person who a cosmopolitan person in the world will be good at playing a musical instrument and makes money and uh, is, is, is kind of whatever, you know, is good at sport and is also very good at sex. Is one of the qualities of a cosmopolitan human being is to be good at sex. Mm-hmm. And female pleasure was very much part of the conversation. And it's very much it's. I love how the Kama Sutra doesn't just talk about sex as a sexual act, I think, which is what it is. It's very much like preparing the room for your lover and scattering flowers on the bed and they'll come and then you'll talk about poetry and you look at the moon and then you might have sex and then he'll kind of mop your brow and feed you this particular kind of betel nut, you know? So it's a whole thing, you know? It's not just about penetration, which I feel like in some senses... I don't know, in the modern world, that's kind of what sex is. Definitely. Mostly. I mean, that's Western yeah. sex education yeah. for you. It's all about like penetration, Boom. male ejaculate, you know, STIs and pregnancy. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> Can I, mean, I come yet, yeah, please? <laughs> so, I mean, that that sounds incredible. What, what do you think happened? How did it all get lost in translation yeah, from all those years so ago? I think about this a lot and I haven't got a straight answer. I think it's mm-hmm. a complicated answer because we're talking about something that was really a big part of society in 4th century BC. And it was so much part of society that the kingdoms of the time would would give grants to kind of uh, sculptors and painters to, to depict sex. Like in a lot of mm-hmm. Indian temples, sex is everywhere. There are, you know, like the first thing in a lot of temples is like Shiva, Shivalingam, which is the 
it's like a penis shape shiva is one of the it's, it's like mm. male energy yeah and there's female energy there are kind of dancing goddesses and naked women and you know couples they are part of most indian temples so i feel like perhaps what happened is over time a lots of different rulers came into india from different outside influences we had iranian and we had mogul and we had different types of influences mm-hmm. uh then we had um there was somebody called manu who did this whole kind of codification of hindu culture that i remember and he i think was one of the first people to talk about marriage and kind of property and women being part of that and caste systems and things like that i think he was quite a big um part of maybe how things changed and then we go into kind of the more modern era where say the victorians were were in the, were in india mm-hmm. so bringing with them victorian morality um they didn't understand this kind of what they call this heathen way of living um they you know women's ankles were considered inflammatory when they all you know yeah. that kind of ideas of sex were very different so i do believe i remember reading that the the two men who um found the original manuscript of the kamasa sutra and then translated it um they added the pictures to it because you know they were they brought it back to england and then they uh-huh. circulated it as this deck like, dirty picture book you know yeah, yeah just for like the wrong the, the position yeah so it became basically. this kind of mm-hmm. yeah yeah the salacious like oh put it under the table kind of thing yeah um so there was there's a lot that's happened and i'm trying to still kind of uncover what went wrong but these are some of my theories yeah i mean yeah. we fucked it up fucking victorians <laughs> coming in with their damn ankles <laughs> and religious weird ass views i we ruined it i'm so sorry it, it must it no, no, no. must go down to colonization though like I that think is it where was one of the factors i think it was i don't think we can blame it squarely i'd love to say yeah yeah they're the victorians fucked it up but i don't i don't think that's entirely true <laughs> yeah yeah What would you say are some of the misconceptions around South Asian sex? Uh a that we can all do the Kama Sutra. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This has actually happened to me many many times Stop. where you're going to date with somebody and the guy will say, "So, you're you're Asian, you must be able to do the Kama Sutra." So then I've got to kind of launch into this whole thing saying, no. "I cannot do the Kama Sutra." It's a whole oh. tome of like Even then it's like stop you know. fetishizing me, you fuck. Like <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Unbelievable. But that's the biggest the stupidest misconception, I think, that it's like a thing we can I don't know, like homing or whatever you know like people yeah, say yeah. it's so stupid it's like it's this whole kind of world and philosophy and ancient kind of uh, idea so you don't just do it mm-hmm. um and i think then there's either they you know people think you're that or they think you're like you know just escaped an arranged marriage and you're like <laughs> really will never you know even kiss somebody so you know it's yeah. these extremes i think yeah. of conceptions around south asian women yeah that either we're like this pious virgin type person or we're like this i don't know kama sutra type person and neither are true of who yeah. we are mm-hmm. yeah how does that affect you as well like how having those like huge generalizations put on you it's really annoying I think and it's it's just like my first reaction is then I've got to say okay calm down they're saying that because they don't know any better so I've got to kind of go into my higher self and say okay they don't know any better and 
you know, you've just got to sort of talk to whoever's saying that to say, you know what, actually it's a whole bunch of other things and which you do not understand. And sometimes if I have the energy, I will do it. Sometimes I frankly can't be asked. And, yeah, it's you know, not your responsibility. Really, it's things that you educate, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather conserve my energy for the women that I, I feel like I serve. That's who I serve. Mm-hmm. I serve my community of South Asian women who've suffered in the same way that I have. Yeah. From all of these kind of taboos and cultural kind of conditioning and who suffer not just obviously in their sex lives because there's a lot of pleasure that they can never access because of that but also this constant conflict and unhappiness that they battle because Mm. of what we've said before because if I'm questioning something it means I don't have the connection of family you know all of these kind of things and to say to them that it's okay that we're all doing this and that we can be each other's family and community and support each other. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the work I can serve my energy for rather than, yeah. you know. The power you do the of community. Thing. Yes. Massively, massively. I- and it's life-changing. Like it's changed my life yeah. um, as somebody who's creating this work, but also changes the life lives of so many others, I think. Yeah. Because I think when we feel like other people understand our experience and then there is hope for a way forward. That's when kind of healing happens. I think that the, the journey of healing starts to happen then. Yeah. And it's also, it's all so fascinating to learn about as well. It's just welcoming new knowledge. Have, have there been any standout stories from the Masala molecule, Molecules? <laughs> <laughs> from the masala the monologues the masala molecules and, and like the masala that. that's going to be my next podcast. venture molecules yeah it's like going into the science <laughs> yeah um, but yeah any standout stories that you can think of that have sort of just blown you away yeah I mean gosh so many and this is why I think I feel really blessed to, to be able to say that uh, so many I, I got an email from uh, someone who's 16 years old and living in Mumbai I think or a small town not even near Mumbai Mm. Um, she wrote to me like a couple of weeks ago to say, you know, I found your podcast and suddenly I feel less alone in the world. Yeah. Like how, you know, that's just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, it really, really is. It really, mm-hmm. really is. And just women who kind of sometimes will approach me on a street or, you know, if I'm doing an event or something, people will come up and say, you know, you've, what you do has really changed my life. Uh, someone else I met last week at an event, she said, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. And she says, you know, you're saying the things I think in my head, but I haven't got the courage to say. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I thought it was so powerful that. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, she gets male members in her family to listen to my podcast sometimes. Oh, yes. Which I thought was like, whoa. And she says, and they get it when you're saying it because the way you say it, they seem to understand it. Yeah. It, there is something which, so special about that. As much as like we as women, we know we have a big female audience, but there is something that goes beyond when you find out that especially yeah. cis men listen to the yeah. stuff that we're saying because it some of the stuff we're saying is hard and some of it does yeah. generalize men and attack men. But when they're when they are fans, when they are actually listening yeah. and taking 
it in you know yeah. it's like give them a round of applause they need a fucking award because that's yeah, going absolutely. above and beyond what their whole absolutely. culture their whole gender is telling them to go against you know yeah, it's even like harder. everything they've been taught right mm-hmm. Holy shit. so sangeeta we do have a section in our podcast called the fuck off story but I don't know whether you would like to delve into your personal stories or not, which, so the fuck off story is kind of like a sex story that, I don't know, was either shocking, fun, strange, something that really stands out to you in your sexual history. So the worst, probably one of the worst sexual experiences I had was my first sexual experience. Cause again, this I think just talks to the culture and kind of where we come from as South Asian women. I lost my virginity at 21. Like I was, you know, it's really old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just, it was very protected and there was just, just no avenue really. And the guy um, who was my first boyfriend um, had sex and he had no idea what he was doing. Like he really didn't know what he was doing. Mm. But, and I didn't know myself either, I think. Yeah. And I didn't understand. And I just thought, well, oh, there's something wrong with me that I can't orgasm and I just had this idea in my head that just women just turn up to sex and then they have an organ. Like it just, that's how it happens. Mm -hmm. I was that, you know, lacking in knowledge. And the, the fuck off bit of this is he turns around to me and he says, well, every other girl I've been with has orgasm. There's something obviously wrong with you. No, he didn't. Oh, he did. No, he did. Is is that even real? Is he even, is he bullshitting? I can't can't take it. My His God. name, I mean, I, I can, I, he probably will never listen to this, but <laughs> won't, won't say his name. But the, the fuck off bit of the fuck off story is that I accepted that. No. And I just thought, oh, maybe there's something. And I, was, I remember going on to Google saying, oh, women who can't have an orgasm, like, what are the reasons? And I kind yeah. of researched it because I was convinced there was something wrong with me. Yeah. Like, he's more sexually experienced than I am. So clearly he knows what he's doing. And if the thing doesn't work with me, there's obviously something wrong with me. Mm-hmm, of course. And yeah. Well, that seems like a natural think, thing to think, to be yeah, honest. It made, like it at that sense. age, it was your first exactly. encounter. If this is what someone's saying to you and they've exactly. had more sexual experience, then what else are you gonna, if there's no other information, no one's yeah. talking about it, then yeah. what else are you gonna think? Oh, that's so sad. Exactly. I think there are, there must be, hundreds of thousands of people around the world that also think that too yeah yeah because yeah. we we've just not been taught the right way we've been given that misinformation yeah. and also yeah. he has as well he's been mistaught and it's very possible that all the other people we were with Faked weren't it. even orgasming they were faking yeah. it and so he's just like wait this normally works like it's what the thing i'm just doing yeah it normally works oh. yeah. and he was shit he was really bad like now that i am actually sexually experienced i'm like you can't touch someone's clit for like uh, half a second and then expect them to <laughs> You know, have an orgasm. It doesn't work like that. But it (laughs) works in porn. They do it in porn. Why are you not squirting and like, you know, (laughs) spazzing all over the place. Like, oh, oh, unbelievable. This is is why we're doing the good good. We are there. You're a pioneer in what you do. You really Um, are. Because we are teaching people that, that it's not, the case it's not the way and slowly no, but surely exactly. we, we will be giving the good information out to uh, to Absolutely. everyone it will get there yeah it will and, and we're also I think making people feel okay with themselves wherever they are at like there's no shame in any of it mm-hmm. I think Florence you were talking about this in in the the talk we we were at 
that there is no right, there is no wrong. Each of us can be in our own journey. You, we can be highly sexual, we can be asexual, we can be whatever, you know, and it's all okay. And there's no shame in any of it. And I think that the yeah. problem comes when we all expect everybody to be this certain way and function in this certain way, whatever that certain way might be. Then when we don't, there's a sense of shame attached to that. Yeah. And it's just rubbish that. Yeah, because every everybody is different. Everybody's exactly. body is different, Every you know. Body is yeah. different. And we need exactly. more information. We need we need more subcategories and we need more sexualities and gender and and we just need yes. more information out there. More understanding, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Less judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more understanding also of our own uh, cultural nuances as well. I think Breed, mm-hmm. you mentioned it, whether it's someone who's LGBTQ plus or someone who might be a person of colour or you know, our experiences are very different. So therefore, being careful not to say this whole feminine, sorry, feminist sexuality conversation is just this. It, it is not. Like, yeah. if you come from, I can talk about people from my culture, if you come from this mm-hmm. culture, the, the distance we have to travel to get to our own pleasure is humongous. Yeah. And the courage it might take somebody to, to browse sex toys in a shop is humongous. So, you know, we've got to keep, as many points of view as possible kind of in our minds when we have these discussions, I think, as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, this this has been such an enlightening podcast. Like, I've just been like, oh, I could talk to you forever. You're great. Yeah, <laughs> You're yeah we love you. Thank, you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our curious fuckers find you? <laughs> You can come find me at soulsutras.co.uk. That's my website. I'm also on Instagram and uh, Twitter as soulsutras. And I've recently joined TikTok. I'm not sure how it's going. Um, (laughs) But all as soulsutras. Can you spell Um, that, sorry, for us? Mm S-O-U-L-S-U-T-R-A-S on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And soulsutras, S-O-U-L-S-U-T-R-A-S, .co.uk. Uh, if you want to listen to my podcast, just type in Masala Podcast on Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Perfect. And come find me. Come come say hello. Yes, yes. definitely. Yes, definitely I'm head sure. over and listen to the podcast. Follow all the social media accounts. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. It's such a yeah. pleasure and an honor to have you on our podcast. Yeah, you've been amazing. I'm, I'm such a fan of the work you do and it's such an honor and a joy to like, be part of this you're amazing both of you and you. you know it, keep doing what you do because you know it's it's really valuable work amazing well curious fuckers if you love this episode please share it far and wide share it with your friends it's going to change someone's life today if you do share it so please do that and leave us a rating and a review because that really helps as well and of course you can keep up to date with all of our shenanigans we are at come curious on all platforms including tiktok twitter instagram and you can follow our personal accounts read Amber X and Florence Bark and we have merchandise yay Um, but that's it from us and we will see you next Thursday see you next Thursday bye bye